It's great to be here with you this morning. If you've been around here for a while, you know sometimes my right foot gives me issues and I sit. And so I'm sitting. If you're new, it's not because of the length of the message. And so uh, you don't have to worry about that. So that's, that's not what this is. Hey, I, I want to I give a big report before we um, head into uh, the message this morning. Yesterday, there was a golf outing that was held uh, by Crosswinds, and uh, over $1,200 was raised for the spot. And so, yeah, you can get, yeah, thank the Lord for that. Uh, Spot's a great organization that we partner with that uh, helps uh, children both in the Canandaigua and Victor school systems uh, with uh, supplies uh, that they need as well as food. And so uh, it looked like the golf outing went extremely well yesterday, but more importantly, what a, what a great help for, for the spot. And uh, you guys uh, make that happen, whether you golfed yesterday or just allow us to, to be a part of such things. But what a, what a great opportunity. Well, here we are in the book of Titus. I was thinking as we were looking at this, this part of what we're going to look at, this series we're in, uh, little book, Big Lessons, that the book of Titus really reminds us of the importance of, of living with faith, uh, integrity, and, and a sense of responsibility within our Christian uh, community, uh, where we live and where we work and where we go to school and play. And so with, as, as Christians, it, it reminds us of how we're, we're to live. Of course, we, remembering always that we're not saved by works. Isn't that good news? We're not saved by works, but works is the fruit of salvation. It's part of becoming like Jesus. And, and as I was thinking about this message this morning, I couldn't help but, but sort of wonder, like in the community, if we were outside these walls and having a conversation, if I were to, for instance, quote from The Art of War by Sun Tzu, uh, no one would have a problem. Uh, they, they would go, wow, there, there's a great old book with some wisdom. If I was to quote from Confucius or, or Gandhi or Lincoln, uh, no one would have an issue uh, with that. In fact, they would listen up and, and see what they have to say about life. But if I was to quote from Scripture, you may hear people say, well, that's an ancient book. You know, it, it, it has no application to our life today. And yet all these other books that we can read, and by the way, there are books with great truth in them out there. But there's only one book that's the truth. And that offers us life. And what Titus is going to receive from Paul, and we're going to receive this morning as we look at the book of Titus, is this amazing book of teaching. As D.L. Moody says, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Not for our information, but our transformation. That the Word of God is living and active and able to do a work in us and through us that not just transforms us, but the culture around us. And and that's what Titus is, is going to receive, and we're going to receive this morning, are these words from Paul. And so look at them with me. Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, they're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing, uh, but showing all good faith. So in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, within this 
passage or a couple of of verses that have caused some conflict uh, within the church. And I I can't wait to to tackle them, but we're going to sort of jump through it um, group by group, if you will, that that, that Paul mentions to Titus. Uh, Before I do, I I love what what, what William Barclay, what he says of this passage. He, He says of this passage, it's the Christian character in action. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Paul writes here. The Christian character in action, that as the Bible's not given us merely for information, but for transformation, then we also understand that the Word of God, as it transforms us, is to change the way we act. Again, we're not saved by works, but works are the fruit of salvation, because the very Spirit of God is in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. I find it then very interesting that before Paul tells Titus what to teach to other people, he instructs him in Titus 2.1, he says, but as, you te- but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, he's saying to Titus, remember that truth is the best antidote to error. Truth is the best antidote to error. He says, listen, Titus, you're going to be in a culture that may not respect the word of God. In fact, you're in a culture that's living contrary to the word of God. And so even in the churches, when you're teaching these things, you might be tempted to maybe teach something different, to maybe teach something a little lighter, you know, Jesus light, you know, and he's saying, don't do that. Teach the truth because it's the truth that transforms. And I say that because I believe in our country, we're plagued with churches that teach something other than the gospel. They may say, well, we don't preach the whole gospel, yet the reality of it is the gospel has to be whole. And so for us, it's so important that we commit ourselves to the very word of God, cover to cover, believing what God says to us, not taking out the parts that are a little difficult for us or or, or the parts that are difficult for others, but allowing the very spirit of God to do what only God can do And that's transform a life, to call someone unto himself, to to have them receive his love, to fill them with his his love so that he can love others. And so he says to Titus, make sure that you're committed to the sound doctrine, that the truth of of God's word. And then he starts with verse two by saying, teach these groups of people. And the first group of people are older men, or in 2023 lingo, maturing men. Um, He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. He gives us this order of things in which to teach them. And and really, when we look at it, it's the picture of a person who has achieved a perspective in life. One who's not under the influence of outside forces, whether it be alcohol or money or anger, lust or greed. And, And this is the picture we have. But older men, hopefully, are, are maturing, and as they're maturing, but they're, they're keeping their eyes on the prize. See, there are things that were important to me when I was younger that become less important to me now. There were goals, things I sought for when I was younger that become less important to me now. Yesterday, I had the privilege of my whole clan going out for breakfast, and we were sitting there, the whole clan, right, in our own little room there. And, and my, uh, my, my wife's uh, mother and father paid for the breakfast, so it was even better. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing event. And, and, and we're sitting there, and, and I can remember a time to where when I was younger, I might have been tempted to think, when is this going to be done? <laughs> Come on now. 
When I was really younger, if I had been uh, a child in, in my parents' house and mom told me, hey, the whole clan's going out for breakfast on Saturday, my first question would have been, what time? Because breakfast sounds early. And, and the second question is, you know, do I have to go? Been there? But sitting there where I am now in life and seeing my children and my grandchildren, I thought I'd never want to stand. Because when everything's said and done, the only people we can take with us are people, right? The only, people we can, the only thing we can take with us is people. Can't take things. Can't take achievements. You can only take them. And I was cherishing that. And I can't help but think that when Paul writes these things, to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, you know, he's saying, you've learned what the truth is, what really is valuable in life. Pass that on. Live as a model of that. It doesn't mean you don't have goals. It doesn't mean you don't have objectives. It doesn't mean you're not working hard. It, it just means your priorities are in the right place. And you hope as you, as you mature, and by the way, you hope as you age, you do mature, that they both are not automatically the same thing, by the way. That as you mature in Christ, that your perspective, your perspective is on the right thing, which is Christ and people. And then he says, this of older women, or again in 2023 lingo, maturing women. Titus 2, 3, first part of verse 4. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. And so it's interesting here, that word likewise is a key word in this passage. It shows up twice. And the word likewise is so important because what it means is all the things on this list that, that, that Titus is receiving from Paul is for everyone. In other words, the groupings are there and they have their place, but really there's this list of things. And so he's saying to the older women, you know, just like all these things we share with the men, that and then here's some other things. And, and teach younger women. And I love this because it shows a multi-generational church, doesn't it? It's discipleship. It's generations pouring into other generations. One of the things I love about Crosswinds is the fact we're a multi-generational church. We have people pouring into one another, all the generations working together for the kingdom. And it's interesting. It says what? They're, they're to be reverent, not slanderers. They're to teach what is good. And when maturing is part of aging, and I say because it's not necessarily, they don't automatically go together. It'd be nice if they did, but they don't. But when maturing is part of aging, our perspective and values grow in sobriety in a clear-headed way of, of viewing everything around us, which is helpful not just to us, but to others. That maturing is really narrowing the gap between our judgment and our actions. Isn't that the truth? Maturing is narrowing the gap between our judgment and our actions. And how many times do we know what was best to do and we didn't do it? Or we knew something wasn't right to do and we did it anyway because we just felt like at the moment, why not? Well, you hope as you get older, you wise up a little bit and, and you realize this is good judgment and therefore I'm going to act accordingly. And, and, and this is what Paul is writing to Titus. This is what God's word speaks to us. It, it's, this, it's this word of encouragement that we want our judgment and our, and our actions, that that gap narrows and we, we become the people that we know we can be in Christ. And then the younger women, Titus 2, 4 through 5, says, train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, 
that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, first of all, to love their husbands and children. Growth uh, is, is in love is really growth in our ability to love others, including our family. And, and that's really what the call is there. And, and I don't think that the principles of Scripture ever change. Would you agree with me, church? I don't believe that the principles of Scripture ever change, but certainly the way that those principles apply in each and every culture and time may look different. Principle is the same, the application a little different, but this understanding of family being important, interesting enough, was not unique to just the book of Titus at that time. The Emperor Augustus, who was the emperor during the time when Paul wrote this, was super concerned about the family structure of Rome. In fact, he saw that the, the Roman nobles, were were, they weren't marrying anymore. What they would do is they were having mistresses and children with them and, and somehow to protect their wealth and, and, and all these type of things. So the emperor actually made a law and the law was against those who weren't getting married and having children because he was afraid the noble families would cease to exist. In fact, there's a story of, of a game that he had, he had thrown and, and all, the, uh, all the participants were there and they were yelling to him to change this law. And he said, all of you who are married and here if your children stand, nearly half the, the stadium sta- stood wherever the, this particular game was. And then he said, sit down. How many of you here with your mistresses and children? You stand. And, and nearly the other half stood up. And he said, no, I'll keep the law the way it is. You know, that, that, that family values were important. So, so it's interesting that even in this non-Christian environment that the Greco-Roman culture was, that they understood the value of family. And then here it is in God's word, this, this, this thrust to say, no, family is extremely important. The, 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 the context of men and women being together and caring for their kids and, and caring for one another is, is super important. That it even spilled out into the culture that wasn't honoring Christ. Now here's an interesting statement where he says that they're to work at home. Women are to work at home. Now there's a principle, right? Getting quiet in here. Stick with me. But, but context is king. Someone said it. Say it out loud. Context is king. So what's the context here? Well, in Cretan culture, there were really only two jobs for women outside the home. It was either to be a street prostitute or a pagan prostitute. And within the culture in Crete, they both were acceptable for women. What Paul is writing to Titus is to tell them it's not acceptable for women. (laughs) That the culture may say it is, but God's word says it isn't. In fact, if you were to go from west from Crete and head from Athens to Rome, you find very few women that are business women. There are some, there are exceptions, but there are very few, and most of them are older and they're, and they're widowed. They're actually overseeing their husband's business. Now, I know in 2023, this sounds ridiculous, but this is where principle is applied in context to 2023. And so what he's saying is, look, if your only option is an unholy job, don't do that job. He's saying, stay at home. It's, it's a valuable thing. Do that. Caring for your kids is important. But he's not speaking against those who have a career now. The careers then were not God-honoring. There are careers now that can be. Are we together on that? We see what we're saying? 
So principles are, are timeless in God's word, but the application, we have to understand the context. And even the context of the statement to be submissive to your husband, to which every guy in the room wants to say amen, but isn't, has the nerve to say it. I certainly won't. But submissive to your own husbands. Well, that's, that, that's to be taken out in context. Context is king. Ephesians 5. Paul teaches us the context of the submission, that the wife is to be submissive to the husband. There's mutual submission. The husband's also to be submissive to Christ, and both are to be, I mean, are supposed to be submissive to the wife, and both are to be submissive to Christ. It's not as if the wife is to be submissive to the husband, and the husband just sort of does what he wants. Or for the husband cares very little of what the wife needs or, or her opinions. You know, the scripture never teaches, I am man, listen to me. But it is Christ is Christ, listen to him. Let's submit together and let's submit to him and, and allow him to direct us and our families and, and, and do this work within us. I mean, the culture is amazing uh, in the day of, of Paul as it is today to, to teach things that are contrary to scripture. So the scripture does what? It helps us head in the right direction to know how to live, to know how to think, to know how to behave. And, and I, I love this verse that Paul writes in Galatians. He, he's talking about that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And when we look at this passage out of Titus, that's what's being taught here. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. We're all one. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you have much wealth or not wealth. It doesn't matter the color of the hue of your skin. None of that matters. We're all one in Jesus. We're all on equal footing before the cross. And Paul wants us to understand that because it's so crucial we understand this. That, 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 that when God looks at the world, there's only two categories of people. Only two categories of people. Paul makes it really clear in Romans, those who are in Christ and those who are not. That's all that matters. That's all that separates. And we who are in Christ are called to, to skip over that chasm and share the love of Christ to those who are yet in Christ that they'll come to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God calls his church to be and do? And then I love this, verse six. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, why do I like that? Because you have this huge list for older men. You have this huge list for older women. This huge list for younger women. And then just be self-controlled, young guys. When I studied this over a couple of decades ago now with a group of about 12 of us, we studied the book of Titus for like four months. We got to this, we just started to chuckle because that's how you first read it. But did you pick up the word likewise again? Like the whole list applies to the young guys too. Sorry, you're not off the hook. And, and this idea is to be self-controlled. And, and what a powerful statement. As much as I know the whole list applies to them, it's interesting that Christostom is the early church father who lived in the fourth and fifth century AD. At this particular verse, this is what he wrote of it. He said, nothing is as hard at this age than to overcome pleasures and follies. So it's as if this whole list is there for, for the whole group, right? No matter who you are, this list applies to you. But when he comes to younger men, he says, be self-controlled. Remember, be self-controlled. And why? 
Because in that time, the men had the greatest amount of freedom. And where there's great freedom, there's great responsibility. And I think all of us in this room, no matter how old we are, realize that the decisions we make will come back to haunt us later. And so Paul writes to Titus and to us, he says, look, be self-controlled. And then Paul hones in on Titus again, verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. It cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. What's he saying? He starts with Titus in this section, and he says, listen, Titus, teach the truth. And then after these four groups, he says, and by the way, live the truth. Nothing worse than preaching the gospel and not being willing to live it. You say, Craig, are you sitting up there perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm perfected. I can sit before you saying I'm committed to the truth. I want to be more like Jesus. How about you? And the worst thing we can do for the world around us is to teach the truth and not live it. To say there's a God of love and not be loving, right? There's a God of mercy and not be merciful. Hey, God forgives, but I don't. Nothing worse. And Paul doesn't give Titus an out. He doesn't say either live like it or don't preach it. He says, no, preach it and live like it. It's the same words he says to us as followers of Christ. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if you're not going to live it, don't preach it. He says, no, preach it, but live it. Allow the spirit of God to do that work within you, to, to mend relationships. Be an example of that. Let God heal hurts. Let God transform you into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's just this beautiful picture so that, he writes, an opponent may be put to shame that, that, you know, the culture around us can make up really crazy things about us as Christians. Let them speak, but let's not give them ammunition. Let's not do things that allows them to, to find us guilty of. Let's do things that when they, when they say we live contrary. So if they say we're not loving, let's love all the more. Come on, church. They say, oh, there's a bunch of judgmental people. Let's live according to the great judge all the more and honor him in the way we treat each other in him. Like Titus, each of us must give no, no occasion for accusations against Christ or his church. And then here's this passage that's been problematic for some over the years. It's what he writes to bond servants. So he writes about these four groups. Titus, teach the truth. Here's the truth. Live the truth. Then he, he focuses out one group of individuals in particular. Bond servants. Verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Not pilfering, stealing, right? But showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Context. In the cities in that day, a third of the major cities were made up of bond servants. Bond servants were either indentured servants or slaves. A third. And that doesn't count freedmen, people who had been and been set free. So there's this huge group of people. And we look at the list. And we go, well, why doesn't he talk about freedom? Why doesn't he talk about things that that maybe we would want him to talk about, especially as we think of our culture today. 
And the reality is this, is that in the context of what's happening is throughout the Greco-Roman Empire at this period, bondservants weren't just looked down upon, their character was being assassinated. They were said that they were thieves, that they, that especially those in indentured servanthood, that they made this commitment. They don't keep commitments. These, these, are, these are less than human. They would have plays about it. And Paul says, prove them wrong in Christ. Live in such a way that, that you show yourself to be a child of God, that, that they may come to Christ. And, and, and what's amazing and what's happening here is something that didn't happen in the time Paul wrote this letter, and that bond servants are being spoken to. And, and so picture this with me. The church of Crete. Now, why is, why is Paul writing this to bond servants? Because in the church, there's bond servants sitting alongside freedmen. And Paul's saying, listen, I see you. God sees you. You're not a second-class citizen anywhere because you're a part of God's kingdom. And when the totality of the gospel is understood by everyone within the church, things change. Can you imagine? Here's this words being spoken by Paul, and, he's, and Titus is reading it to a particular church, and here's an individual who owns a person who's sitting next to him. They're both Christians, and, and he's being addressed, both the person who's the owner and the person who's the slave, and all of a sudden, they have to look at each other and do, what do we do with this relationship? This doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't Paul say just freedom, not the purpose of the letter? And also, I don't know how that would work within the culture. All I know is, is what happens to Crete. But I shared with you last week that the Greeks came up with a name to Cretanize, which meant a liar and a deceiver. And that's, that's sort of how people saw the Cretes. Even their own people saw each other that way. And over a short period of time, to, to be Crete was synonymous with being a Christian, that the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed the culture so much. The crazy things were happening. That individuals from... Different sides of the track, so to speak, were worshiping together and loving each other and learning how to do life together. The chains were being broken. And we need this type of gospel today just as they did then. There are more people in the world in slavery today than there were then. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in countries where they're enslaved. And the truth of the gospel needs to penetrate those areas. Maybe some even among our own church say, I'm going to go and be a missionary to some of those areas. So to bring liberation and freedom. But dare I say, it doesn't take, it doesn't take bond servanthood, you know, indentured servanthood or slavery to separate us it can be just the fact that we're different and we think our differences separate us. And again, when God looks at the world, he only sees two groups of people, those in Christ and not in Christ. Now, if we're in Christ, we are one. That when people say, what race are you? I'm part of what's known as the human race, God's people. Does that mean that I don't appreciate my pedigree? I do because every person who lived before me is why I'm here. Good, bad, or ugly. They beat the odds. And I get to be alive today because of that. Some of them were probably good people. A lot of them probably not. I bet your pedigree is the same, by the way. 
But the reality of it is I'm here not be even because of them. I'm really here because of the love and the desire of God for me to exist. And so when I look at my fellow man, I go, wow, and they're here because God chose for them to exist too. That's quite special. Don't you agree? And so Paul writes to Titus to all these groups, but I love the fact he writes to bond servants because he's looking at them saying, I see you. God sees you. You matter. You're free in Jesus. And when all these people say all this, that, and the other thing about them, prove them wrong because the power of God works in you. And when you adjourn God, you're going to change the world. Is that not true for all of us? That when we surrender ourselves to Christ, our families change. When we surrender ourselves to Christ, our, our, our neighborhoods can change. Our culture can change. Is that not what God desires? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I was going to break this whole passage down in one single directive, it would be this. Believers are to live in a manner that aligns with sound doctrinal principles, demonstrating self-control, respect, and positive examples to foster spiritual growth, a, a strong Christian community whose witness is to those who've yet to receive Christ, but hopefully someday will. That's a long directive. Sum it up and live like Jesus. Love God, let his love flow through you. I can't say it any better than John Wesley, so I close with these words. John Wesley wrote, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. That's pretty good. And I think Paul and Titus would say amen. How about you? Wherever you find yourself this morning, know that you're cherished by God. You say, how do you know? Because he gave the ultimate gift for you. Jesus died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. You matter to him. In a moment, we're going to take part in communion where we remember what he, not only he's done for us, but what he's done for us, how that's, how that's changed us. We're one in Christ. And if you've yet to receive Christ, I just encourage you, whether you're in this room, down in the chapel, watching online, that this morning you would say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Let him change you, and as he changes you, may he use us to change the world around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these powerful words. Your word. Your word that's living and active. And Lord, your word that isn't just given for our information, but our transformation. And I pray, Father, that you would just grow all, each and every one of us up in you. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of their heart. Lord, we say thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for the gift of your spirit that indwells us as your followers. There's no reason anyone has to leave the sound of my voice without saying yes to you. You're calling them. I pray they would respond. And Lord, for each of us, <laughs> I pray that as we grow in you, that that gap between judgment and action would become smaller and smaller. <laughs> but you make us a people that don't just talk about forgiveness, but, but are forgivers. Don't you just talk about he healing, Lord God, but, but speak healing on each other's lives. Don't you just talk about unity, but live unified. God, thank you for loving us so profoundly. 
for the gift of life we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.